Well, we have a very special guest with us today. And um, as many of you know, we're going to be taking a trip here in like a week and a half or two weeks, I guess, to uh, Dominican Republic with the ministry called Dominican Advance. And uh, my wife and I last October went to just kind of check out and see what um, this connection could look like, this partnership with, with Dominican Advance and um, Kim and Josie Pensinger that um, have some connections with, with some folks here in our church. And uh, we were just blown away by the ministry that they have going on over there in the Dominican Republic and um, have turned into not just ministry partners, but but I consider them friends, and um, we're very, I'm very excited to, to have them come. It's, um, Josie wasn't able to, to be here now, but, but Kim's here, his wife Josie. They have three adult children that were raised on the mission field. They've been um, all over the world doing uh, mission and outreach work. They started Dominican Advance all the way back in like 2006 with like 80 kids in like K through K through second grade, I think kindergarten through second, and now it's it's grown to over 800 with 85 staff members and all kinds of amazing things, and they're doing an amazing work, really. The cool thing is, is that it's not just a Christian education. It's, a, it's an excellent education. They're, they're known all around the country for, um, for the excellence of education that, that, they're, that they're putting out for these kids. Um, how many of you know that, like, you know, as far as, like, when we're, when we're operating in the kingdom, we should be known for excellence. Amen? We should stand out. And so, uh, without further ado, I want to invite uh, Kim Pensinger up here. And he's going to share the word with you guys this morning. Would you guys stand and give him a new life welcome? Good morning, new life. You may be seated. What a blessing it is for me to be here uh, at new life and to have the opportunity to share the word of God with you and a little bit about what the Lord's doing in the Dominican Republic. But I want to say something too. I am enormously blessed. My wife and I, my wife is already in the Dominican Republic. I will join her tomorrow, the Lord willing, if I get on that flight out of Portland at, uh, I don't know, I got to be at the airport pretty early. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I just want to share uh, from my wife and my perspective, what a blessing it is to know Pastor Justin and his wife, Katie. We consider them friends, but I am so impressed with both of them. There is a freshness to their faith. There is a sincerity, a sincerity in their heart and a hunger for God that you just don't find in every single pastoral couple. And there's also a vision that God is, is sharing with them. And I really sense that they're opening doors uh, in, in many different countries of the world. And right here locally as, as well, I, I feel that this congregation is like on the cusp of a major breakthrough in, their, in your impact and in what God is going to do with you and through you. But how many appreciate your pastor? Amen. Amen. And we are so looking forward to uh, receiving and hosting the team in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I just can't wait. I just can't wait to have you come and labor alongside of us and see what the Lord's doing there and to be a part of 
of the wonderful things that God has laid upon us and given us grace to do. So I have just a really short little video here that I'm going to speak, and that will give you an update or rather a, a background on Dominican Advance. So if we could run that, Tyler, I would appreciate it. The man is speaking. Could we start that again? What would I do to best serve the needs of poor Dominicans? The answer to that question was to create opportunity for a brighter future through high quality Christian education. Today, we have 17 school buildings on three campuses serving a community of over 1,000 impoverished Dominicans. Our K-12 program provides two meals a day for all of our staff and our students, and every one of our students works with their own laptop or iPad. Our scholarship program for the university is preparing students for careers in architecture, law, education, and pediatrics. In October 2021, we received recognition from the Ministry of Education as model schools for the Dominican Republic. We're changing lives, we're changing futures, we're changing communities. So I want to invite you to add meaning and purpose to your life and partner with us for a brighter future for the Dominican people. The decision that you make today will mean so very much to someone special tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you very, very much. much. So I, I don't know what you picked up there, but in, in October of 2021, we were awarded um, the certificate from the Ministry of Education, which we work very closely with um, as model schools in the Dominican Republic. The update on that is right now, this year, we are finalists for um, the award that they give out each year as being the best high school in the Dominican Republic. And we are in the process of converting our high school into what they call there a technical school, which means that we will actually be able to uh, teach college courses on our campus and also the, our, our students can earn college credits to go to college. We already have a um, a, a, uh, a free tuition university program, and we have 22 uh, uh, of our students, our graduates, studying at universities in the area, and they're studying law, they're studying business administration, some want to be doctors, architects, engineering, and this is all set in the midst of real deep poverty. I'm talking about a dollar a day poverty. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see what God's doing. And all of, for all of my life, I've always wanted to be salt and light. You know, it's, it's one thing to be, you know, to serve the Lord and to worship and to pray and to uh, win souls for Christ. And yet, I always wanted to be that part of something to where as the church, this is what I interpret salt and light, as the church being the pace setter, as the church being the light that shows the way, as the church being the one that the non-Christians look to and want to follow. 
And I am so blessed today to stand here on this platform and tell you that is exactly what we are doing and who we are in the Dominican Republic. We are at the very forefront of education there, and it is such a privilege to have that grace upon us. And that's what I, that's why I, I, I'm, I'm so excited about having the team come down and to be a part of that and to share that. And so um, uh, it's, yeah, give the Lord glory, give the Lord glory. Now, in the lobby, I do have a table. The table is not necessarily for Dominican Advance, but it's for a program that we have, which is an extension of what we're doing in the Dominican Republic, but it's not actually in the Dominican. It is in Cuba, it's in Argentina, and will soon be in Costa Rica, and here in the United States. It's a program called Nutri Ninos. It's a Saturday program. I don't know how many of you are aware, but COVID has set back education all over the world. There are children that are at least a year, two years behind all over the world. And parents and teachers are pulling their hair out as to how they can get their, their children caught up. Well, my wife came up with this idea, and it's called Nutri Ninos. It's a Saturday program which involves nutrition for the whole child. And so we serve a breakfast to the children. Then they have a chapel time, or what we call knowing Jesus, where they get to know the Lord, grow in their relationship with him. And then they break into classrooms or classroom areas where we, we do what's, what we call group or class tutoring where we hire credentialed teachers who know the lesson plan from the public school. Most of them are public school teachers, and they review with the children, okay? They review with the children what they have already studied that week in school, okay? And so we do three core subjects, and it all, gets, it all is ended around 11.30, 12 o'clock, and we are just seeing phenomenal, phenomenal results from that program called Nutri Ninos. Parents are just saying, my child is finally learning again. Pa parents are sending these reports, my child is now at the top of his class. But it's not only that, there's also an unexpected result of all of this because we do it in churches, and that is that parents are coming to Christ and coming and becoming part of the church and being baptized, and this really wasn't what we anticipated, but as the parents are waiting there for their children, to get out of the program, there's someone there from the church sharing Jesus with them. And the last time that I was in Cuba, I met one of these parents, and I heard her testimony. She said, my child, he, he changed so much, and he came home, and he was talking about Jesus, and one day, one, he woke up, and he said, mommy, I, I had a dream of you. You were in church, and you were, you were in church worshiping God. So she came and checked it out, and she gave her heart to Jesus, and we, were, we had the opportunity of actually meeting her and seeing some of the fruit of the Nutri Ninos program. So... We have five in the Dominican Republic. We have one in Argentina, soon to open up in Costa Rica. So I don't have time to give you all the details of that this morning, but there's a table out there. And on the table, you will see these little teeny weeny little cards here with a little teeny weeny QR code on it. And if you want more information on the, of the Nutri Ninos program, or if you'd like to become a Nutri Ninos supporter, 
you know, go ahead and scan that QR code. And there's also a sign-up sheet on, the, on, on that table where you can sign up to be part of our e-newsletter, which goes out every month on the 17th of the month. And if you sign up, there's a cup there that has pens in it. And if you sign up, give your name and email address, you can actually take a pen with you as long as they last. So make a beeline to that table and sign up for that. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to serve the Lord and to be part of what he's doing. So I want to bring, I want to bring the word to you, and my text this morning is from Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Now, I have a question, though. How many like to fish? How many fishermen do we have here? How many lady fishers do we have? Fisher folk. Excellent, excellent. I like to fish. I, I don't fish that often. I'm not that good at I'm kind of like, I got the t-shirt kind of fisherman. One time my wife and I were visiting a church in Tucson. It was in the winter, and uh, I happened to have on a quarter-zip Orvik uh, sweater on. And I went to this church, and I had these guys come up to me and say, hey, man, where do you go fishing? And I didn't realize I had this thing. Where do you go fishing? What kind of equipment do you go? And I'm looking at these guys. What do you mean? He says, well, it says Orvis there. Orvis, you know, and I, that's kind of where I am, you know, in, in fishing. It's kind of, I got the T-shirt. But I don't really care how, 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 uh, how well or, or how good you think you are as, as a fisherman. I don't really care how, you know, good you might be as a fisherman. I want to tell you that I know someone that's better. I actually know the master fisherman. He is an expert and a master at all types of fishing, whether it's fly fishing, bait fishing, trolling, sea, uh, salt water uh, or fresh water doesn't make any difference. He does it all. The only thing is he doesn't fish for trout or bass or salmon. He fishes for people. He's the master fisherman. His name is Jesus. And he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many are familiar with that? And so he actually draws us to himself by the Holy Spirit and through the love of God of his people to himself to embrace us so that we can be his forever and forever. And so I'm going to give you some insight into the master fisherman this morning. And maybe it will help you grow in your faith and your understanding of the Lord. And I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you don't know our beautiful Savior... If you're here this morning, you don't know what it is to experience full and complete forgiveness and pardon, you're in the right place. Because at the end of my talk this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to open up your heart and to receive the Lord Jesus. So I'm reading here the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 5. A true narrative from the Bible. And it says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, 
We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, if we were to step out of that narrative and just look at it from the cold, hard facts of it, without any previous Bible knowledge, we would say that there's a small group of tired and discouraged fishermen there, and there's one very popular, charismatic preacher. Jesus is there, and he has a large crowd, and he's looking for some type of crowd control. That's why he's requesting a boat. And then we have these fishermen who have labored all night long and have caught nothing. But if we just leave it there, we would be wrong. And the reason why we would be wrong is because there is a backstory to this account. These men all knew each other. The fishermen who were there were previous followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is actually the third time that Jesus is calling Peter. You remember in the Gospel of John, Andrew brings him to, uh, to, to meet the Lord, and Jesus says to him, your name is Simon, but it, you will be called Cephas, which is Peter, which means the rock. And then there's the account that after Jesus' uh, experience in the wilderness, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and James and John in their boats, and he calls them to be disciples, and they leave everything and they follow him. But what happened? They were previously following Jesus, but at some point, for some reason, we don't know, they left him and went back to fishing. So what we actually see, the actual correct interpretation here, is there's one fisherman. His name is Jesus. And he wants to reel in some previous uh, disciples of his who had let him down and let themselves down. And so he's there bringing them back. It's not that they got off of his line. It wasn't that. He was just giving them more lines so they could exhaust themselves with their efforts and he could bring them into himself forever. So there had to be an element of uneasiness here in this account. In other words, we don't really see that, but there had to be. You can almost sense in here that John is nudging Peter and saying, Peter, it's Jesus. What, what, what's going on here? Why is he here? And I think that question, what's going on, is a question that we ask ourselves many times in life. Because many times there are circumstances that change for us. Many times there are circumstances when we, we find ourselves in something, and the circumstances alone don't tell us what's really, really going on. And we don't see, as, as Pastor Justin said, we don't see the Lord who is behind that, who is orchestrating the circumstances. When I was 20 years old, my life was rock and roll. I played it, I preached it, I lived it. 
I was in a band and with my best friends, and uh, we had just reached the point where we had play, played the number one venue in Tucson, Arizona. And that's what every band wanted to play in that venue, and we did it. I had a collection of guitars. I had Gibsons. I had Martins. I had Guilds. I even had a banjo. And in addition to that, I had what today we call vinyls, right? I had over 100 vinyls. I was studying um, music theory at the University of Arizona, and at the same time, I was writing and I was recording a rock opera. And I was using members of my band, who were my friends, to come in and lay tracks. And then, my contacts in the university, I had them come in, play the violin part, the viola, whatever that was needed for that particular part. It actually became known to the local newspaper, and the local newspaper came out and actually did an article with a picture on me in the local newspaper. I had a steady girlfriend. We had been going together for two years, and she told me repeatedly, I will love you forever and a day. Not too bad for a 20-year-old kid. How many can say, hey, that's right. Within seven weeks, that entire scenario there changed for me. It began to unravel, and I unraveled with it. The band broke up, Some, and not only did we break up, but I mean, we dispersed. I had one member that joined the army. I had another member that moved out of town. I had another member that uh, was hanging out in town, but we just never connected again. As a result of that, I lost my ability to do the rock opera and my interest in music. In the, in the midst of all of this, my good, steady girlfriend who loved me forever and a day, she dumped me. Trashed out my heart big time, you know. Now, if you would look at that, you would just say, well, tough breaks, kid, you know. That's rock and roll. Suck it up and get over it. But you see, you would be wrong. Because what was behind all of this was the master fisherman. In the midst of my life there, my end of my career in rock and roll, there was a fellow band, or there was a band member of a, a rival band across town that we all knew each other together. He gave his heart to Jesus, and he stopped playing rock and roll, and he, he started going to church. And honestly, I would spend time sitting and thinking, how could he do that? Why would he do that? I know this guy. We have this same lifestyle. We played the same music. Why would he leave this and give his life to Jesus? This was during the Jesus movement, and I, I couldn't come up with an answer. I would try to, you know, I, I was actually a, a, a philosophy major before, or a psychology major before I switched to music, and I could not figure this out. And for the first time in my life, I began to think, you know what? Maybe there is something to this Jesus thing. Maybe there really is something there because he seems to be very, very happy. And so I found that when the master fisherman is working in your life, in your circumstances, he has a way of making everything look dark, unattractive, and unfruitful. In other words, he has a way of taking away what you rely upon or you like to have in order to draw you to himself. You know, I think that I've, I've studied this in, in the Gospels, and you know, from the moment that Jesus called Peter, 
You can do your own research, you'll find this true. From the moment that Jesus called Peter, okay, he never ever from that point on caught a fish without divine aid. Think about, think of the scenes where Jesus says, hey, uh, children, do you have any meat? Nope. Look at Luke chapter 5, caught nothing, you know. The only time that Jesus, that Peter is recorded of caught, uh, catching a fish is when Jesus told him to go and catch a fish, and in it would be tax money. So I think that Peter probably had the skinniest kids on the wharf. I mean, he had to. It just wasn't working for him anymore. So if you're here this morning and things aren't working for you, and you're asking yourself, what's going on? Could it be, could it be that the master fisherman is there reeling you in? Now, I also want to talk to you about something else here that goes along with all of that, and that is that there's an inner working of the master fisherman. Something changes not only on the outside, but changes on the inside as well. And I've, I've, known, I've noticed this and I've seen this as a hallmark of the inner workings of the master fisherman. And that is that there is a gripping sense of self-concern and self-apprehension and anxiety that comes when the Lord is drawing us to himself. We see this in Peter. There's this incredible, miraculous catch of fish, so much so that their, boat is, their boats are beginning to sink, okay? Peter has never seen anything like this in his life, okay? And he turns to the Lord. He, 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 he goes to Jesus. Jesus is actually in the boat with, with them. And he, he kneels down at Jesus' knees, and he says to him, Depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. Now, why is that important? It's so important because it is the only time in all of the biblical record where Peter, okay, is humble about himself. He is sensing his own neediness, his own need before God, and he's saying, I am not worthy of this. Why is that important? Because Peter's this overconfident guy. That's his personality. He's the kind of guy, Lord, these, all these other guys, they may abandon you, but I will never abandon you. He's the guy that, you know, when Jesus is on the, the mount there of transfiguration, hey, Lord, let's build some tents here. In other words, there was no humility whatsoever. But all of a sudden, he begins to feel self-concern and anxiety that I, I am not worthy. I, I don't know what's going to happen with me. I, you've got the wrong guy here. We see this in the prodigal son, too, don't we? Takes his father's, he takes his inheritance from his father, goes out and just wastes it partying, doing all kinds of things, and then there's a major depression, a recession that sets in, and he finds himself feeding pigs, feeding the hogs. And the scripture said that the story that Jesus told was that the, the hogs were actually receiving or getting better food than what he was getting. And there's an interesting thing that Jesus says in the story. He said there's a moment where, where this young man came to himself. In other words, for the first time, he looked at himself and he said, where am I and what is my future? Look what I have done with my life. Look at, the, look at the, how needy I am. And he said, the only option I have, there's no future feeding pigs here in this form. The only option I have is returning back to my father and asking for forgiveness. So just before I gave my life to Jesus, this is the last week of, of, of my, my rock and roll years, so to speak, 
there was like this dark cloud that came over me. And, and it's kind of hard to describe this, but I just sensed this dark cloud that if something didn't happen real soon, something very bad was going to happen to me. And for the first time, for the very first time in my life, I was actually concerned about Kim Pensinger. I'd never been concerned about that. I, I was raised in a middle-class uh, you know, family, different things. I had, I had my guitars, I had my friends, I had, and I, there was no real concern. And I became concerned about my future. What is my future? I've lost my band, I, I have no interest in music. What am I going to do with my life? What is going to happen to me? Now this also takes another form. And that is that when the Lord's dealing with us and drawing us to himself in his love, I find that people become concerned about eternity and about where they're going to be after they die. Now, this isn't something we actually talk about a lot anymore, you know. And back in, back in the days when I began my ministry, you know, heaven and hell were a topic, and you did talk about that, and people were concerned about that. Not so much now. Now it's like, you know, we use the word pass instead of, you know, my generation, we say passed away, but now it's he passed. Almost like it's a, he passed to another plane. He, he went into another reality. And it's almost like most people today, at least here in the United States, they have this idea that because after death is so undefined and vague that we can't know it, then there's no sense of worrying about it because we can't do anything about it. But you know what? That doesn't really give you much comfort, does it? If you don't know what awaits you after you die, if you don't know what's out there, how can you really be confident or at peace about your own death? Now, if you're looking for hope beyond the grave, you only have three options. Seriously. One is religion. There are many world religions, okay, but basically they all come down to the same thing. Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, it all basically comes down to your own good works. If you're going to be a Jew and, and you have hope for eternity, then you keep the law, the rabbinical law, and the law of Moses. Islam, it's about keeping the words of the prophet and being a good Muslim. If you get into Buddhism and Hinduism, if you you know, if you take that and you, you, you distill it down, it's all about karma, isn't it? That you, through your good works, you get enough karma, and so then you have a, a greater hope, uh, you know, for, for a future life. But there are three problems with that. Number one is nobody can tell you exactly how many good works and how much good works or what types of good works you have to do in order to get to heaven or to have an, an afterlife. There's nothing here that that defines it. It's not like, well, if you do these 20 things, then I can guarantee it doesn't exist. The other thing is it's a religion only for good people. You know what I mean? Because your own good works are going to save you, so you have to be a good person in order to have any hope after the grave. In other words, there's no savior in any of those religions. You know, Moses was the lawgiver, uh, Muhammad was the prophet, uh, Buddha said, I am not the way, but I am showing you the way. So you have all of this. So there's really, it is fraught with insecurity, that entire scene of, of trying to save yourself through good works and through religion. 
Now, the second option you have, this is a long shot, but it is an option perhaps for some, and that's cryogenics. Cryogenics is where they take you and they freeze you. They freeze you at 100, I think it's 130 degrees below zero, okay, with the hope that at some point science, okay, will come up with a bionic uh, body and they can, you know, they can, they can bring you back. In my state of Arizona, we have Ted Williams' head on ice. We do, we do. In Gilbert, Arizona, his head is on ice. Been there for years, but his head is on ice. Now, Ted Williams was famous, one of the best batters of all time, last man to bat 400, and uh, was, is the, the superstar of the Red Sox. So his hope is that someday they're going to come up with this science thing, and they'll attach his head, uh, thaw his head out very slowly, <laughs> and attach his head to this body. And he's going to come back to life, you know. Now, Pastor Justin, I don't, I don't care if, they, if, they, if that actually happens. He is not going to come back and play for the Red Sox and be what he was before and help you guys get out of the cellar, okay? That ain't going to happen. You're going to have to look elsewhere. Oh, oh, I just revealed that I'm not a Red Sox. I'm a Yankees fan. Oh, oh. Now, what's the problem with science? Well, the problem with science is it still doesn't solve the problem of mortality. Because even if Ted comes back, he comes back to a disease-filled world and a sinful world. He comes back to this reality, which may or may not be better than what he had when he was actually alive or present with us. And the other thing is that it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to die again. So what happens if you, Ted comes back and then, you know, all of a sudden there's a car accident and he thinks to himself, oh, snap, I didn't have time to freeze my head again. And he dies and this time it's for good. So the third option you have is Jesus Christ. Listen to me, he is the only one. He is the only one in all of human history of a major figure that has promised eternal life. He is the only one that has said, I am a savior. I am prophet, I am teacher, I am these things, but I am a savior. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life. I am the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the wonderful, wonderful thing about our beautiful Savior is that there is grace. It is salvation for sinners. It's not, you know, try to do good and just keep doing good until, you know, you have the hope that maybe you have, you have canceled out some of your bad deeds and in the next life you won't come back as a horsefly. You know? I've always wondered if, I, I, I couldn't figure that out. I gotta study deeper, I guess. But karma, you know, if you're bad, then you come back bad. But how does a horsefly improve his state in the next life? What if you come back as a cockroach? What, what guarantees a cockroach? Does he have to be a great cockroach to then work his way back to becoming? I don't understand these things, but I know this. 
There was a thief on the cross. He was a criminal. He admitted that he was guilty. He turned to Jesus. There wasn't any time for good works. And he says, Lord, remember me. And the Lord in his grace said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He is the Savior. He is eternal life. And if we will just trust our life to him and put our hands, our, our life into his hands, he will save us and forgive us of all of our... It doesn't make any difference what your past is. It doesn't make any difference what your present is. It makes a difference as to who you're trusting and how you're trusting. And that's how we receive eternal life. So remember, at the end of my talk, if you're here this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to experience full and complete pardon and to know our wonderful Savior. Now I'm gonna close with three very quick things about the master fisherman. Number one, Jesus, the master fisherman, knows exactly where to fish, where to fish. How many of you know that if you're a fisherman, you gotta know where to fish? You know, the lake could be full of fish, but it doesn't mean that they're just anywhere out there. Last time I went fishing, I went to Rose Canyon Lake. Rose Canyon Lake is, at 8,000 feet level on Mount Lemon, Catalina Mountains in Tucson. Um, and so we happen to have a, a handyman, he's retired, and when we have something that's broken that I can't fix, which is most things, we call Mr. Dugan, Tom Dugan. I call him Doogie. And so we, he goes up every weekend, he goes up and he fishes in Rose Canyon Lake. So we were going up during the week, my wife, my daughter, and I, and so I, I called him up and I said, Doogie, I said, we're going to go to Rose Canyon Lake. What do you suggest? Where do I fish at the lake? He said this. He says, okay, you know, you get out of the parking lot and you take the path that leads to the lake. And then the path splits. It goes to the left and it goes to the right. He said, you go to the right. You count the clearings on the right side of the lake and go to the fourth clearing. He said, there's usually nobody there. You stand there. You use a sliding sinker rig and salmon eggs, and you'll catch fish. So what did we do? Went up to Rose Canyon Lake, walked the path, went to the right side, saw the fourth area where you could, and lo and behold, nobody was there. I had all, already had our rods set up for the, for the right rig, the bait, and within two hours, we had caught our limit, and people were looking around going, whoa, 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 what's going on? They're spending all day out there. People across the lake looking at us going, wow, look at all the fish they're catching. Now, why were we successful? We were successful because we knew where to go to fish. It's no accident that Jesus stood in Peter's boat. He knew which boat to stand in. He always gets it right. He never misses the right person at the right time. Peter was the appointed one that he was going to reel in. So if God is dealing with your life and speaking to your heart, don't think, oh, no, Lord, not my bay boat. No, Fred and Lily's is down the way. You really want, you, you want to you talk to them. You want to deal with them. No, no, he's got it right. Secondly, he knows exactly what bait to use. And we see this here again with Peter. There's a psychology that's going on. What was it in the miraculous catch that hooked Peter and he allowed himself to be reeled in forever and forever. There was something in that. And I believe that when he saw this miraculous catch and he was humbled in himself, he realized something. He realized that he wanted to be that person 
that Jesus wanted him to be, but he didn't feel that he could be that way. I think when Jesus said to Peter, he said, do not be afraid. In a, in a short period of time, if you'll surrender to me, I will make you fishers of men. I believe he was pointing to the multitudes on the shore. Peter, you're going to have that type of impact. You're no longer going to be a failure. You're no longer going to be a person living in obscurity. And I believe that Peter, being a people person, when he heard those words, he understood that that love that he had in, inside of him for people and for Jesus, that God was going to use that in ways that he couldn't imagine, but he was promised success, and that was the bait that Jesus used. Now, I don't know what bait he would use with you. I don't know what, what, what he would, how he would deal with you and speak to your heart about drawing um, uh, you to himself. I, I don't know that, but I do know this, that he will make it clear, and he will be very... Uh, insistent on the right bait to bring you in. And the last thing, and I'm going to close with this, is he is an expert and a master at reeling us in. So remember I talked about this, this guitar player that uh, gave his life to Jesus. I came to a place where I would have so unraveled that I actually went up to him and I said, hey, can you come to where I'm working? This was a Saturday. He said, can you come to where I'm working? On Saturdays, there's there's not really a lot of customers or things like that. Would you come and would you talk to me about Jesus? And he said, yes. So he came and we had a conversation. I was working in, a, in the hippie zone of Tucson and I was working at a, at a um, uh, it was a leather goods place and then there was also a t-shirt shop next door that sometimes I worked over there by the same owner. And he came and he talked to me and he said something that somehow or another got into my spirit. That night when I went home after work, I was very nervous. I, I was just nervous. I, I, I actually called up a student that I had because I was teaching guitar at the time. And I, say, I called him up and said, hey, would you like to, you know, I would, my idea was, would you like to come and, and have a guitar lesson? But I couldn't reach him. I, I, he, he, he didn't respond to my calls. So around 10 o'clock that night, I went into my bedroom and I got down on my knees, and I said these simple words to Jesus. I said, Lord, I want to be a child of the king. And when I said that, you have to trust me with this, and I'm not comparing experiences, but when I said that, I saw in my spirit Jesus on the cross, and I heard these words. I saw his face, and he said to me, I did this for you. And after he said that, I felt death lift off of me. I felt a joy that just overwhelmed me. I felt clean for the first time in my life, and I knew that I had been born again from above. The next day I got up and I went to church, and I was amazed because I looked around and I'd never seen a morning that was that bright. And you know, in Tucson, we, have, we live in the Sonoran Desert, so we have saguaro cactuses. And they have like arms that come out of them. And it was like everywhere I looked, it, lo it was like the saguaros were praising God, had their arms lifted to God. So I went to this first service and I thought to myself as I'm driving there, this is gonna be really cool because this is the first time I'm going to actually go to church and be a Christian because I had visited churches before. I walked through the door, and it, it, this, this church, where he went to church, was holding services in my old high school, in the auditorium. So I knew where to go. 
and I walked in, and in the lobby, there was a greeter right at the door of the, of the auditorium. And it was, it was, to, it was, it just, it would shock me. It was the girl that used to sit next to me in my music history class. It was Lori Fox. Lori Fox. And so I, now I had no interest in Lori Fox, but in college I was a pen scrounge. I could scrounge with the best of them. It seems like I never, ever had a pen, okay? And so I could scrounge, especially from girls, and so Lori was my pen supplier. When I didn't have a pen, I would turn to her and say, do you have a pen, Lori? She'd say, yeah, of course. And there were some times that she kind of got kind of frustrated with me or something because there are times that she would just look over and see I didn't have a pen, and she'd just go. But there was Lori, and she looked at me and said, what are you doing here? Are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And she said, since when? I said, last night. And she said, the Lord told me to pray for you this school year, and I almost gave up because the more I prayed, the worse you got. And I was amazed. Here the Lord had a, I didn't even know she was a Christian. Here the Lord had somebody praying for me so that I would be drawn to him and her prayers were effective. He knows how to reel you in. He knows how to draw you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. If I be lifted up on the cross, John 12, I will draw everyone to me. Now, can you resist? Can you break the line and get away? Yeah, you can. He's not going to force himself. But you know what? If you do that, you're going to end up with that hook inside your belly for the rest of your life. So I want you to stand with me. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you don't know our wonderful Savior, if things are going on in your life that you can't explain, I want you to recognize that the hand of God is over your life. That Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are drawing you to himself. You don't need to go to the doctor for pills. See, in the church, we understand this. We understand what it's like to have the master draws. We, we understand what it's like to have everything unravel and then have him put it back together again the way it pleases him. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. What I'm going to ask you to do, we're all going to bow our heads in a moment, but I'm going to ask you, if you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ and open up your heart, then I'm going to ask you to put your hand on your heart once, once we bow our heads. And I want you to repeat this very simple prayer with me. It does not have to be complicated. All I said to God when I got saved was, I want to be a child of the king. It's a simple prayer. But if you'll be sincere, and if you'll recognize what God's doing in your life, he will come into your heart and make himself real to you. Let's bow our heads. Repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. I believe that you're real, and I want you to come into my heart and make me a new person. I ask you this day 
to forgive me, to give me a new life as I trust my soul to you as Savior forever. Amen. The Lord bless you this morning. Such a joy to be here. Such a joy to bring God's word. Pastor.